Carolina, and this recording is from one of our church services. For more information, visit our website at churchofphiladelphia.com. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the message. Number one, when you have it, say amen. Chapter number four, starting at verse number one. And the word of the Lord reads, it says, Then was Jesus led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of a God. And if you can hold Psalms chapter 34, verse number 8, which simply says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. You may be seated in the presence of the living God. Amen. And as we bring this particular sermon series to a conclusion. We are still talking about soul man. I am a soul man. And our foundational scripture for this particular series came out of Genesis chapter number two, verse number seven, where it talks about God breathed his breath into man and man became a living soul. Amen. So today we'll be talking about soul food. Right. And typically when we hear the term soul food, we think of the various foods like collard greens, you know, fried chicken and macaroni and cheese, all these different things that y'all like. That y'all slowly killing yourself with. <laughs> Might as well tell the truth. Right. Church is where we're supposed to tell the truth. Right. Pecan pie, you know, all these different pies that we love to eat. Uh, sweet potato pie. You know, smothered ham hocks and smothered pork chops and all this good game, good stuff, turnip green, collard green, you know, all the five different types of green, cabbage and you know what I mean? I get it. I, it, it they're real good without all of that stuff that we put in it too, though. <laughs> you know, we just figure we just got to have all this different stuff in it and, you know, uh, soul food wouldn't be complete without your red juice, you know, your big container of Kool-Aid and, you know, just what... Five pounds of sugar in the, in the in the in the gallon, you know. You know how we do. Like it's it's not right until <laughs> it's not right until we till we see the sugar actually stirring. You know, you can see the sugar stirring. You like that, that's it right there. That's that's it right. So soul food. If 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 that's not what you think about when you think about soul food, typically we think about soul food. We talk about the movie per se that that came about in the late '90s that was centered around. This particular figure, this this grandmother, this 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 big mama, okay, big mama, this pillar of the family, and it's centered around having Sunday dinners, having what? So full, right? You, you know, but but it spoke to the family coming together, being gathered. It's something about when they come together to gather. And when that pillar of the family was taken away, we saw all type of division begin to take its place in the family, right? So hence we're talking about soul food. What, 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 what type of food you need in order to maintain, in order to exist on a spiritual level? Because typically we find ourselves where we feed our flesh 
daily, all day, every day, whether it be by the things you watch, the things that you hear, different conversations that you may be engaged in, the different thoughts that we actually allow to run through our head, uh, things of that nature, all of these are means by which we can feed our flesh. But how are you feeding your soul? Your soul, your spirit, man, how are these things being fed, right? And so we come to a familiar passage of scripture in the book of Matthew, and we understand that Matthew, the book of Matthew, or this particular gospel, the writer Matthew presents Jesus as the Messiah. He is the chosen one, the Christ is sent by God to be the savior of the whole world, amen? So we understand that the book of Matthew presents Jesus as being the Messiah. He's the chosen one that will bring salvation to the world. Now, when you go over to chapter number three, towards the latter part of that particular chapter, it talks about how Christ is being baptized by John, right? So hence the word then, when we get into verse number one, then was Jesus. So something took place before Jesus was led into the wilderness. Well, he was actually baptized by John the Baptist. And afterwards, we see that the spirit of God began to descend upon him like a dove. So if, if, if I've heard, I'm going to just throw this out because I just recently heard a pastor, some of them that we're very familiar with talked about there is no such thing called the Trinity. Now, the correct thing is there is no word in the Bible that denotes Trinity. It does, there is, the word Trinity is not in the Bible, but indeed there is a Trinity. Because when you go over to chapter number three, the latter part, we see how the scripture says Christ, who is the Theanthropos, meaning he is the God-man. Hmm, right? He's the Theanthropos, right? He's the God-man, right? We see Christ is physically present. And then we literally see the scripture talks about how the spirit of God is descending because after he comes up out of being baptized to heaven, the Bible talks about how the heavens are open to him. And that's when the spirit of God begins to descend upon him like a dove. So we see Christ who is the second person of the Trinity. He is God the Son. And then we see God the Holy Spirit descending, coming to rest upon him like a dove. So those are two pieces of the trinity then the Bible talks about and then a voice speaks from heaven and declares this is my son in whom I am well pleased so we see the representation of the trinity on display the father's in heaven he's speaking and declaring that this is my son who I am well pleased we see the son who's physically literally present and then we see the literal presence of the Holy Spirit coming to this in the pun so we see the trinity in scripture right we understand that there is no word that says Trinity, but the Trinity is very much present. So when we speak about Trinity, we're just saying God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They make up the entity we call God. God. The Father, he is the Godhead. Christ is the second person of the Trinity. And then the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, right? So we see that after Christ was baptized, then the Bible tells us here in the book of Matthew that then was Jesus led up of the spirit into the wilderness, right? And, and, and think about this here. Like we say, he is the theanthropos. He's, he's, he's the God man. He's fully God, but yet he's fully man all at the same time. This is one of those mysteries that the Bible gives us, right? It's just really hard to interpret how is he God and how is he man all at the same time. He just is. He just he just is. He, he was enough man. <laughs> this, this is what I like about him. He was enough man to relate to the issues that we deal with. And, and what am I really saying? He was enough man to understand what it is to be tempted by sin, but he was enough God to never submit to sin. Oh, see, I wish I had help right there. 
He was enough man to understand that we would need some deliverance, but yet he was fully God to be the one to deliver us. Well, that don't mean nothing to y'all. That don't mean anything to y'all, brother. He was, that's why we say he's the theanthropos. He's the God man. He was able to relate to us while being God at the same time. So then was Jesus led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, right? So before we get into this, one of the main things, one of the main things definitely in this particular passage of scripture is talking about worship. And when you think about worship, worship is one of the central themes of the Bible, right? It's one of the central things of the Bible. And we say obedience is the highest form of worship, right? Obedience is one of the, well, it is the highest form. It is the highest form of worship, right? So thought, food for thought, food for thought, right? Christ, because he's been led of the spirit into the wilderness, right? While he's here, we understand in verse 2 to let us know that he was fasting, right? So understand this. Could it be maybe Christ fed his spirit or fed his soul by way of his obedience? Obedience is the highest form of worship. So he was actually worshiping through his obedience unto God. And this is what kept him fed when the tempter or the enemy came. Right? So... What we got to understand in relation to worship, right? How you worship, how you and I worship is going to determine how we believe. And how we believe is going to determine how we worship. What you believe about the theanthropos will determine how you will worship Christ. How you worship Christ in turn is going to determine how you believe or what you believe about Christ. Like, I'm so convinced that he is the Messiah. I am so convinced that he is the begotten, the only begotten of God. There is no, nothing that no one can say to me that would change my mind. Seduce me. And, and on top of that, and this is aside from me having my actual encounter with God. I just believe the Bible is true. There are no errors, there are no flaws, there are no contradictions. And it is just the true and fallible word of God. Right. So I want you to understand as it relates to worship by worship being the central theme of the Bible, how you believe is going to determine how you worship and how you worship is going to determine how you believe. Right. So we understand he was led up into the, into the, to the wilderness by the spirit. Right. Keep in mind, we said obedience is the highest form of worship. I want you to keep this as we move through this. So he was led. Right. In the Greek, the word led up is talking about what to lead or to bring it to a higher place. So, and mind you, after just being baptized, he was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. So he was led, according to the Greek, he was led into a higher place to prove. Because when you're being tempted by God, it is now to prove something or to be put on trial in order to make sure this is proof. We understand that his identity was just revealed in chapter number three. This is my Son, my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He understood, God understood, God the Father understood. Though this is his son, he understood I'm sending you as the Messiah to save the world. So his identity has been established after he comes up out of the water being baptized, right? Then was Jesus led him to the, uh, into the uh, wilderness by the Spirit of God. And it's one thing to be led by the Spirit of God because now the Spirit is taking you and ushering you to a higher place. You must now prove that you are the Messiah. It's not just going to be good enough to be called the Messiah. You must now prove that you are the Messiah. 
You know, think about it. For those of us who have been ordained, licensed as ministers, deacons, pastors, teachers, evangelists, prophets, prophetess, apostles, whatever the case may be, pastors, you must prove. Yeah, you must prove. Because the Bible tells us in the book of Thessalonians, prove all things. Prove all things. Think about it. You say you love him. You say you love her. Prove it. You said you love him, talking about the Lord, prove it. You said you've walked away from the devil, prove it. You must prove it, right? This is a life about proving things, right? So it says, then was Jesus led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. He was led up. Uh, in other words, he was taken to a higher place to prove that he is the Messiah. And as the tempter is coming, the tempter is going to tempt him in all facets of life. The Bible lets us know that at all points, Christ was tempted with sin, but he never yielded to sin. Sin is only sin when you yield to it. Sin is only sin when you yield to it and carry it out. He never yielded to sin. He became sin for us. In other words, all the sin that we committed people in the past that are not here, people who've yet to be born, he became their sin in order to redeem us back to the Father. Now, isn't that something? He became it, but never yielded to it. No, y'all not used to me teaching, but you know, I'm trying to make it make sense to y'all, right? Okay. So, understand. He was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Verse 2 talks about, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was at the word hungry, right? The scripture let us know that he was fasting for 40 days and for 40 nights. 40, uh, the Bible we understand, it's, 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 it's a number that denotes trial or, or testing or, or being tempted. So for 40 days and for 40 nights. And when you understand the Hebraic or the Jewish culture, if they're fasting more than three to seven days, typically what they'll do is they'll still remain or, or abstain from food, but they'll actually drink water. So we understand that he drank. But for 40 days and for 40 nights, because notice what the scripture said, he was at the word and hungered. It didn't say he, he, he hungered and he was thirsty. So let us know according to Jewish culture that if they fast more than three to seven days, they're, they're going to drink water, but they'll still abstain from food. Now, this is the thing. We understand when we fast, what fasting does, fasting, it brings us closer to God. It allows us to become more sensitive to God, to hear the voice of God more accurately and more clearly. But fasting also brings those issues that we thought, oh, hey, well, hey, I got control over this now. You know, I'm doing better in this particular area. What fasting would do, it would bring those things that were underneath the surface, it will bring it to the top of the surface. Things that you so easily overlook, fasting will let you know, no, no, you don't have that under control yet. What am I talking about? For example, if you thought you had lust of the eyes under control, fasting will show you, no, your eyes still roam a little bit. No, I'm operating in a sound mind. No, fasting will show you, no, you're still a little bit confused. You're still a little, a little bit of double-mindedness. You still got some fearful thoughts in your mind. Things of this nature. That's what fasting will do for you. So it's healthy as believers for us to fast. And if we were to dig into fasting, we can talk about all the medical benefits of fasting, how, how the benefits that our bodies can actually uh, 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 have by way of fasting. So in other words, simply put, fasting is good for you on the physical level, just as much as it is good for you on a natural level. For example, 
All of y'all are familiar with the term breakfast. Right? Society has told you this is the most important meal of the day. Right? Really, really, I want you to really analyze this word. Break this. Break fast. Your body, when your body's sleeping, your body's naturally in a fasting mode where it's repairing itself. Right? And when you get up and you eat breakfast, you are breaking your fast. You are breaking your body from actually preparing or repairing itself. So there are natural benefits to you fasting as well as spiritual benefits to you fasting. Think about, for example, there are different times you have to go to the doctor and they tell you, I need you to fast before you come. We need your body to operate in its normal capacity before you put food into it, before you put all these toxins into it. We need your body to operate in its normal capacity so we can identify certain things that we're looking for as it relates to your body. So fasting is good for you, but why is it that we don't find too many of y'all fasting? Simply put, because the Bible, if you search scripture, the Bible talks about, okay, and it spoke to some of those who said the Bible talks about how, and their belly was their God. So we understand for some of us, you don't necessarily fast like that because your belly is your God. Simply put, you love to eat. You find any reason to eat. You eat when you're happy. You eat when you're sad. You eat when you're depressed. You understand? You eat when the game is on. You eat when the game is not on. You just, you just eat. I don't say any of this is shame you, none of that stuff. If you eat, you eat. I eat too. I understand. I, I eat. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to cut back on it. You know what I mean? Yeah, stuff like the Mike and Ike's down a whole box. Mike them was Mike them was buying me them Mike them buying me they know like they be like I'm at, I'm, at, I'm at CVS you want anything of course I want something for CVS I want the tropical bag of Starburst <laughs> right and was sitting and eating this whole entire ba- the big bag in one night and we're getting mad with my children with daddy can I have no no. And then, you know, you selfishly want to share. You give them the kind that you don't really like as much. I'll give you, you can have a yellow one. <laughs> you, got, you got a yellow kind. Don't, don't mess with the red kind. The red kind is my favorite. But it goes to show you, you need to pull back from some stuff. Fasting is good for you. It helps discipline you. Notice, in other religious cultures, especially that particularly of the Muslim culture, this is a regular part of their life. Well, they're fasting, especially on their high holidays, something like Ramadan, things of this nature right here. Well, they're fasting because they're fasting for a purpose or they're fasting for a cause. And and to them, not only are they fasting for a purpose and a cause, part of this purpose and cause is to bring them closer to who they believe their God is, that being Allah. So in like manner of this Eastern religious culture or all this Eastern uh, 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 living environments, this is, this is the norm. Fasting is the norm. It's only over here in the Western part of the world that we don't fast. It's only over here in the Western part of the world they've taught us to be lazy. You ain't got to get up and go to no computer first because you carry around a computer in your hand now. They're making it be so that you ain't even got to, if you struggle getting out your chair, they got chairs that'll lift you up. I said, what are, what? are they really trying to make us become the Jetsons? Last time I checked, George and Judy were slim. All of them were skinny. Now, they, we keep hearing how America is so obese, right? 
Like we're now a country that's dying because of obesity. Lazy. And you can see like one of the commercials that tripped me out on TV is a little boy who called his grandma. Her 80 year old grandma. Grandma, could you get me another? I'm looking like. But it's the truth of our culture. Our culture is just lazy. Right? We're lazy when it comes to certain things in life. In other words, there is no discipline. If there is no discipline when it comes to food, we understand there is no discipline when it comes to other areas in your life. If, if you cannot discipline your calorie intake or your, your, your portion intake, it shows you that there is no discipline in your life. When, when, when you discipline your calorie and your portion, in, Lord, I don't know why we're talking about this. Part of this, but definitely for those of us who have to do ministry, the level of ministry we're getting ready to go to, you're going to have to be in shape. I got a rude awakening when we was at the celebration. I said, Jesus Christ. I prayed for one person. I prayed for my brother on the floor, got down on that floor. I said, Lord, it's been a minute since I've been on the floor. <laughs> I was down here praying for my brother, and I said, I couldn't even get up off the floor. Now, I couldn't get up because my, my back, my physical back, Y'all know y'all been hearing me talk about my back. I could not get up because my back would not allow me to get up off the floor. The pain that I was in, I just could not get up. And you thinking, well, because of the type of environment that we're in, the spirit of God is moving, I should be able to get I could not get up. A tear almost came out of my eye, and I have a high threshold for pain. Somebody said, listen, you need to go pray for him. He can't get up off the floor. I said, God, thank you for that person who saw me, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Because we, everybody in here praying, we, it was an atmosphere where we just laying hands on everybody. And it was like, okay, I wouldn't expect nobody to watch me. But I said, God, I'm so grateful. You let somebody pay attention to me because I couldn't get up. You know, I couldn't get up. They prayed for me. Then they helped me literally get up off the floor. And God's reminding me, no, you're going to have to be in shape. For the level of prayer, for the level of deliverance, the level of warfare that is going to come, you are going to literally have to be in shape. In order to do ministry well, you're going to have to be in shape. Let's be real. Some of y'all, definitely when we be giving God praise, and I'm talking about praise in the sense of we dancing before the Lord, some of us can't dance past a minute. You'd be like, whew. <laughs> so I'm going to be honest with y'all. Part of the reason y'all ain't saw me dance in a minute like that because I don't have the stamina. <laughs> I said, Lord. I said, Lord, you got to help me. Now, this is crazy, God. I am not that old. Still a young man, God. And I said, what, what, is, what is really taking place? So I've had to manufacture things. Because <laughs> I've had to manufacture things in order to show God I've still got my praise. So y'all don't hate on my finger praise. This is good. My finger praise comes in place when my feet can't do it. My finger got to do what my feet can't do. You understand what I'm saying? Think about it. It's coming to a point where even we slow down on our praise. We don't have the level of endurance or the stamina to actually pray like we need to, to intercede like we used to. It used to be you could pray for an hour, no problem. 
Now, some of us pray, we struggle with praying for an hour for various reasons. One, because we don't know enough word like that. Then we have to speak in tongues. The spirit ain't led you to go in no tongue. You just speaking in tongues because you don't know enough word to pray in English. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> That's all that is. And then there were some of us who are praying in, in, in English and in tongues and still be tired. You walking, breathing all deep, got to get a cup of water and all this different stuff. You horse and all kind of stuff. But it shows that you are undisciplined. Fasting will help bring you back to a place of discipline. And see, when we say fast, oh, I just cussed in the church about 15 times by talking about fasting. To some of the saints is I'm cussing when I talk about fasting. Uh-uh, uh-uh, I love my Chick-fil-A. I got to have my Chick-fil-A. Whatever your it is, you got to have. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what your it is. But some of us cannot see ourselves pulling back from the table. But with all the things that you have going on in life, the Bible even lets us know, even when you talk about that spirit, that dumb and deaf spirit that the Bible talks about, it only came out through fasting and praying. There were some things in your life are only going to be broken by fasting and praying. And see, some of us, we get frustrated because we say, well, God, I'm praying, but you have not fasted. Fasting empowers your prayer to the next level. Yeah, God is not denying that you're not praying. He understands that you're praying, but where is your power in prayer? Because you don't fast anymore. And so understand the fact that he went for 40 days, he fasted. And 40 nights. And so, you know, we get, we, get, we get strategic. Well, God, can I fast from 5 in the morning? You know, typically we say 12, 12, 12 a.m. The time that you know you're going to be asleep. <laughs> so the majority of your fasting hours have happened while you were asleep. Like, what did you really abstain from? What did you really, what did you really have to fight? Why you were sleeping? For some of you, you do have to fight your crazy lust for perverted dreams and things of that nature right there. But what did you have to fight while you were awake? So for 40 days, there were certain things that you must deal with in the daylight hours, as well as there were certain things that you must deal with in the nighttime. Hmm. Right. So understand, you take me back to verse one. Thank you, Holy Ghost. He, 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 I was getting ahead of myself anyhow. He said, because he was led of the spirit into the wilderness, into this wild place, into this place where he's been deserted. It's just him and the enemy now. The spirit has led him, but it doesn't let us know whether or not the spirit has remained. Now, we understand because God is omnipresent, meaning he's everywhere at the same time. Of course, we know the spirit is there, but God has not revealed his presence that he's there. It is just him. And the tempter, the devil that's coming to tempt him. Have you ever felt like you've been in a place where it's just you? And we hate being alone. But this is what sometimes God will lead us to a place because God is calling us alone to himself. See, there is a difference between lonely and being alone. When you are alone, God is calling you alone to himself. God is trying to deal with you because I'm trying to prove something in you. And it's not so much that God is trying to prove it to himself because God knows what he knows about you. At all times, he knows what he knows, what he knows about you. There are times God is trying to let you come into the proof of something about you. So he's in this wilderness. 
right? In this wild place where wild animals and different things are taking place and he's out here all alone, right? Most of y'all are familiar with the term, late 90s, early 2000s, girls gone wild. <laughs> but understand because the spirit that has led him into the wilderness, see this is where your prayer life has got to go wild. This is where your fasting must go out. This, this, this is where your praise must go out. This is where your worship must go out. This is where your submission must go out. This is where your yielding must go out. This is where your obedience must go out unto God. If you're going to defeat the wild animals and the wild places, then you got to get wild yourself sometime. You see, most of you, you don't like getting out of character. You like to act like you're so poised and have everything together. But let them mess with your money on the job. Then you get to clap and... Oh, no, 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 don't clap now. Why you get wild when somebody mess with your money? <laughs> now, I, I, can, I can fully relate to that. And I can also fully relate to you getting wild when somebody mess with your child. You want to see me get wild? Mess with my family. I will get wild in a minute. You understand what I'm saying? But it should not be that these are the only reasons that you get wild. You should get wild because you're in a wild place. Your fasting, your discipline should become wilder. Your hunger, your thirst, your longing for God should become wilder. So he's in this, in this wilderness place, this wild place. You can go back to two. He's in this, this wild place he's where he's deserted. God is calling him alone to himself because he must prove not to God. You must prove to the devil, the tempter, that you are the Messiah. So for 40 days and for 40 nights, time of preparation. Because the scripture says when he had, when he had, Past then, fast as 40 days and 49, he was afterward hungry. He was hungry after them. So immediately coming off of his fast, he was hungry. So notice, go to, go to verse 3. Notice, and when the tempter came to him, so immediately him coming off of his fast, the Bible lets us know that he was hungry. Right? We see in scripture, it said, the tempter came and said, if thou be the son of God, commanded these stones be made bread. He tempted him. In the place that he was lacking. It's not a temptation unless you want it. So the scripture let us know in verse number two. And afterwards he was what? Hungry. I want something to eat. After fasting just 40 days and 40 nights. I'm hungry. So the tempter came and tempted him to a place right where he wanted something. It's not a temptation unless you want it. So this is the lie we got to stop telling people that that wasn't my flavor. <laughs> For some of you, you don't even have a standard. Some of you, you don't even have flavor. Whatever. Sometimes you can be in such a wilderness place that whatever comes your way, you look. What am I saying by being in the wilderness place? Sometimes you can be in such a place where you've been lonely. You just want companionship. You just want somebody to know that you are attracted. You just want somebody to let you know, hey, you are special to them. Hey. You will settle or you will compromise what you really don't believe is not your standard. If there has been an absence of somebody giving you compliments... 
if there has been an absent, a significant time without somebody physically holding your hand, lightly kissing you on the cheek, lightly stroking the side of your face, Lord, I bind the spirit, <laughs> oh, bind that spirit of lust right now, because I want somebody, to, I want memory to catch somebody, because see, people don't talk about how powerful memory, somebody can start remembering based on what I'm saying, like, oh, Jesus, I ain't got that, we do not want you to go in no spirit of depression, neither do we want you to fall into a spirit of lust, but it gets that real. When there is an absence of something, the thing that has been absence is the thing that you want. Notice, 40 days, 40 nights, there was an absence of food, so that's the thing that he desired most. It led room for the enemy to come tempt him right in that place. So the question that I ask you, what has been significantly absent for a significant amount of time in your life that you're not necessarily speaking about? Because understand, it gives the enemy legal right to come and tempt you. It's not a temptation unless you want it. And like we say, sometimes it don't necessarily have to be your flavor just because there's been a significant absence of it. This significant absence of something for a, a, a select period of time will make you want it because you haven't had it. I don't care what it looks like. Just happy he interested in me. I thought something was wrong with me. I, I, I needed to know whether or not I still had it. Here I am getting fly every morning, leaving the house, and ain't nobody hissing at me. Ain't nobody trying to holler at me. What is really going on? Let's let's be real. You'll crave attention that if the someone of the same sex hollered at you. You ain't going to tell nobody how it made you feel good. Because you don't want nobody to think you gay. None of that stuff right there. But the reality that somebody hollered at you or somebody made you feel valued, that thing made you feel good. Like, you'll be like, God, you know, I don't want no woman. But she, they, she did make me feel good, child. Sure. I just need to know. I just need to know. Because <laughs> that thing was getting tricky for a minute, God. You know, we talk to God like that. I ain't gonna play no games with myself. When I knew both sexes were attracted to me, I was like, well, this is all right. You think more of yourself when you be like, you know what, God, you know what, a man and a woman is attracted to me. They can't, hey, I know y'all can say what y'all wanna say. I know some of y'all, y'all so macho. You be like, you know what, I don't want no man. I'm not saying that I necessarily want a man to be attracted to me, but I ain't going to deny the fact that I'm a good-looking dude, that, hey, if it happens, it happens. It's not my preference, but I can't help that he blessed me. <laughs> you understand? I'm just saying, now, at one point in time, I used to, used to, used to, used to, used to piss me off. I said, well, ain't no need him trying to fight it. <laughs> no, I'm going to be honest with who I am. It, they're not my choice. You know what I mean? I'm not going to choose them, but I understand, hey, I may be their choice. And I also learned, too, though, every gay person doesn't want you. You know, some of us, because we struggle with that particular struggle, and we don't want nobody to know we struggle, we think every gay person that comes in the church, comes on our job, they want you. They don't want, guess what? Just like you got standard, they got standard. They be looking at you like, you ain't even my taste. 
You short and light skinned. I like them tall and chocolate. Now, for me, in a moment like that, I'd say, God, thank you that I ain't tall and chocolate. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. To each his own, I'm just saying. But sometimes, you know, we think like that in church. We get all deep and thinking, folks, they don't want you. They don't want you. They recognize something about you, but even though they recognize something about you, that don't mean they want you. What they also recognize is not that you just struggle with that particular spirit, but they also recognize that you are unwilling to tell the truth that you struggle with that spirit. Oh. So they recognize that you're a liar. They recognize that you are more perverted than you're willing to let on. Why are we on this? I'm going to stay right here. For example, some of y'all that who are into this uh, gotta get in shape. Mind you, you can be very disciplined when it comes to getting in shape. You're gonna, you're gonna lift, you're gonna exercise, do everything you need to do to get in shape, right? But where's your discipline to take a shower? No, some folk ain't gonna take a shower after they work out. They're gonna go to home. No, they're gonna leave the gym stinking and sweating. No, I'm going, I'm going home. Let's, let's tell the real reason why let's tell the let's tell the real reason why you don't want to take a shower in a public place because guess what while you were working out you saw some people yeah and and, and, and they're not they're not afraid like you they're, they're very self-aware of who they are they're comfortable in their skin they're gonna go and take a shower and you took note of that you're not about to go take a shower while this homosexual you're not about to do that why? Because in your mind, you think they want you. You think they're going to look at you. Could it be that you're really afraid that you may look at them? I wish we'll go ahead and tell that truth. It's not so they understand who they are and they understand what it is that they want. You're the only one that's playing these games that, nah, I'm, I like, stop. We at church, let's just tell the truth. Because if you can see, like, remember, one of the points that I made and me starting this land, my foundation is Christ. For him to be the Messiah, he was tempted at all points with sin. He never yielded. What am I saying? So homosexuality is nothing new. Remember, God destroyed two cities because of it. So what am I saying? Homosexuality was back then. You think, you think some one of them, one of them cats that ever tried Jesus back in the day? Jesus probably looked at him and said, bro, you can't handle all this glory. You don't want, you don't want the Messiah. To, to, I, to, listen. He, he might have told that to Because, you know, most people try to make it be Mary Magdalene. They have, they have made Mary Magdalene be the whore. The Bible never said she was a whore. Never said it. But that's how you hear people preach the scripture. She's the whore. She's not a whore. The Bible never declared she was a whore. It declared that she was delivered from seven spirits. Never said she was a whore, but we made her out to be the whore. Some folk even made her be secretly married to Jesus. I'm pretty sure Jesus said, Mary, you can handle all this glory. I'm just saying, he's a God. He's a God man. Nobody can handle being in a relationship with this guy. You think what all comes with being a Messiah? All that comes with. You'll never have no time. Where you going now? I got to go heal somebody. 
<laughs> yeah, some of the wives be upset with us now. Every time I turn around, you about to go heal somebody. Hey, come the Messiah. Feed us. Well, I told you, the foxes, they, don't have, they have holes, the birds have nests, but the son of man ain't got nowhere to lay his head. You talking about you want to be with the Messiah. All this come with me. You understand what I'm saying? That's a lot come with, who could just be in relationship with him like that? How about it? All right? So what am I saying? Going back to my point, if he was tempted at all points with every sin, you, if you sit here and say, the enemy has never tried to tempt you with somebody from the opposite sex, whether it be giving you a thought, giving you an image, or letting somebody try to hiss at you, baby, you a, you a full-blown lie right in this room. Now, I tell you to your face, you're a lie. Tell you to your face, you're a lie, because you're alive. You, you ain't ever been tried. We all have been trying. I'm going to speak for every life. We all have been trying. Because to say if you haven't been trying, you telling me you are better than the Christ and you are alive. You better than the Christ. There's only one Messiah and he was tempted at all points. So who are you? We're not saying that's your actual struggle, but that doesn't mean the enemy has not came and tried you. You know, some folks were like, I ain't never been. Oh, we know you lying straight off gate. Straight off gate. Your, your speech has betrayed you. So it says, and when the tempter came, he said, if thou be the son of God. So we understand you can command these stones that it be made bread. He's not just the temptation. It's not a temptation unless you want it, right? So we see he's tempting him in the area that has been lacking for both 40 days and 40 nights. But that's not the only area in question. If you be the son of God, his identity is now being questioned because remember, the spirit is leading him to be led up in the Greek is talking about lead to a higher place. He must prove that he is the Messiah, not to God, but to the enemy. If you be the Messiah, command that these stones be made bread because I know you're hungry. Now he understands that Christ has the ability to do this. But again, we say, remember, obedience is the highest form of worship. Could it be that Christ fed his soul or fed his spirit by way of obedience? God didn't tell me to turn the stones into bread. So though you try to tempt me and question my identity, I understand who I am because over in chapter 3, when I came up out this water, my father affirmed who I was. This is my beloved son. How many times has the enemy tried to tempt you with your identity? Because this way most of us fall prey right here. Because he understands that it's a temptation for you. You want to be somebody. Because you remember Sister Act. If you want to be somebody. And if you want to go somewhere, you got to. Oh, I'm preaching right there. Ha. You got to do what? Wake up and pay attention if you want to be somebody. And if you want to go somewhere, right? So he understands this about all of us that you want to be somebody. Right? You're not comfortable. You were not designed not to be a nobody. So it becomes very uncomfortable when you feel as if you're abiding in the place of being a nobody. So that's why it becomes more of a temptation when the enemy questions your identity. Who are you? What am I here for? Who am I? All these different questions we've been asking ourselves along this journey called life. Because all the while, it's been your identity that has been questioned by the enemy. He understands if he can make you question your identity. Because identity is everything. 
Think about it. There were some people who struggle with daddy issues right now because their father never told them who they were. Grown adults don't have relationships with their father and they struggle with who they are. That's why you see people, they're, they're very undisciplined people. They move from this to this to this to this to this to this. And them, they think they just creative. They think they entrepreneurs and all. And we're not saying they don't have entrepreneurial spirit on them. Some of them very well do. But some of them are just unstable because they don't understand who they are. So they figure, well, if I do this, I'll find my identity in this. If I do this, I'll find my identity in this. Or if I be with him, I'll find my identity over here. If I get with her, I'll find my identity in no, we told you when you know God, when you come into relationship with God, when you know God, God brings you to the knowledge of who you are. In other words, he brings you to the understanding of your identity. And after he brings you to the understanding of your identity, he then brings you to the knowledge of your purpose. See, after he identified who Christ was, he's now pushing Christ into his purpose before his actual uh, 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 ministry can take place, his public ministry can take place. Go and prove yourself that you're worthy. Not to me, because I understand you're worthy. Prove to the devil that you're worthy of this earthly ministry that I'm about to place in your hand for these three and a half years, Christ. So most of us, we struggle with who we are because we don't know who we are. So understand the tempter came and said to him, if you be the son of God, his identity was not being questioned by the enemy. Now, the truth of the matter is not that Satan does not know who he really is. I need to know, do you know who you are? Because remember, he's the cherub, he's the, the, the worship chairman. He sat in the presence of God. He sang before God. Remember, he's this holy orchestra or this holy choir, all in one being, who sang before God. So that's the study that I'm going to get into when we talk about the trinity of the archangels. <laughs> Got y'all think about something, I hope. I hope. Now, the trinity has been broken. Because of pride, him trying to usurp himself above God, declaring, I want to be worshipped how God is worshipped. Right? He wants to be worshipped how God is worshipped. And so because of that, God kicked him out of heaven. So the trinity of archangels has been broken. And now you know who's taken his place in this trinity? You and I. So now this trinity of archangels no longer consists of three archangels, but it consists of the archangel, archangel Michael, who's the warring angel, the archangel Gabriel, who's the angel who declares the message or the word of God. And now it consists of us, mankind. Satan hates the fact that we've taken his place. So he understood. I know who Jesus is because I've been in the presence of God. And before the foundations of the world, we understand Christ was already present. The Bible tells us in, book, in, in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. So Christ has been there. So Satan understands who we are. I just need to know, do you understand now that you're operating in a different role, now that you have left glory in heaven and abiding in this earth realm, do you understand who you are? So it's not so much that the enemy does not know who, the enemy clearly understands and knows who you are. For example, y'all oftentimes hear me tell the story about myself. When, when God gives us prophetic words or when God speaks to us about our lives because of where God abides, God resides in the third heaven, right? The third heaven. You do understand the three, three 
levels to heaven, right? The third heaven is where God abides, his throne room abides. We understand that the angels abide in the second heaven. The first heaven is here, right here on earth. When you talk about this expanse being the sky, it denotes the first heaven, the first level of heaven. Now, they have told us we typically, we, we try to look at beyond sp uh, uh, the sky, space per se, as being the second heaven, uh, something of that sort. We just know there's three levels of heaven because Paul talked about him being caught up in the third heaven. I don't know. So he, he's given us an understanding that there are three levels of heaven. We understand that God abides in the third heaven, right? But because of where God abides, when God speaks, his word comes down. It passes through the second heaven where the angels abide. And, 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 and understand, uh, the Bible lets us know when the sons of God came to worship the Lord, the sons of God, talking about the angels of God who abide in the second heaven. Remember how the scripture talks about and Satan came? And he began to ask God, and this is regarding the story of Job. And the Lord begins to tell him, well, have you considered my servant Job? He's, he's saying, okay, you know, these people are going to only worship you because of what you do for them. If you stop doing what you do for them, I guarantee you they'll stop worshiping you. Have you considered my servant Job? Right? So the enemy still has access to a certain form or a certain level, a certain degree of God's presence. He just cannot come back into the third heaven where he abided singing and worshiping God once before. Right? So when God speaks from the third heaven, his word passes from the third heaven down to the second heaven where the angels abide into the first heaven where you and I abide here in this earth realm. So what am I saying? When God speaks, whatever he speaks about you, the enemy hears what God has spoken about you. It is no secret to the enemy what God has spoken about you. So that's why the enemy comes and tries or tempts us. Do you understand what God has spoken to you? Do you know if God said you are, do you know whether or not you are? He plays these word games. If you are, he knows what God has said. It is, in fact, what God says. But he know I can question whether or not you believe it. For instance, God said, be ye holy for I am holy, but yet you find yourself struggling with life, everyday life. You understand? You're still falling in your flesh, things of this nature right there. You don't keep your mind holy and all these different things of this nature right here. So the enemy said, okay, well, if you're holy because you know how you messed up yesterday, what do you believe? So this is where the spirit of condemnation comes and it trips us up, right? Hey, they had the mic over me. I got to be quiet over that one. So if you know who you are, and that's the question because many of us do not understand who we are, it becomes too easy to fall prey, a victim to the enemy because you fail to understand who you are. So he said, notice, and when the tempter comes, so what you must understand, the tempter is going to come. He's going to come. Most of us are not honest about when he comes and how often he comes. So he came when he came to Christ and he tempted him not only about the bread, but tempted him about his identity. Christ knew exactly what to do in order to get the tempter to flee. He gave him word. And when the tempter came, hold on, and when the tempter came, 
He said, if thou be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. When he came with his temptation, Christ never yielded to the temptation. It's only a temptation if you want it. We're not saying it wasn't a temptation. It, indeed, it was a temptation for him, but he never yielded to the temptation. Had he yielded to the temptation, then the temptation would have turned from being a temptation to actual sin. He said, verse number four, he says what? But he answered and said, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone. I understand that I have the authority to turn these stones into bread and quench my natural hunger. But you need to understand according and what Christ is quoting, Christ is quoting the prophets. In other words, he's quoting scripture from the Old Testament. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. I am not sustained. I am not alive. I am not kept by just the natural physical bread that I eat. But more so by the spiritual bread that I eat. What is your answer when the tempter comes? Because we know he's coming to you. And as often as he comes, what is your answer for the tempter? Because like we said, he's going to come with your exact temptation, the thing that you want. But when he comes with the thing that you want, what is your response? What is your answer when the tempter comes with your temptation? And it's in that moment that most of us, we don't know how to respond correctly. It's in that moment that most of us don't respond at all. Or you respond the wrong way. In other words, you think because you prayed, then notice the scripture that say he prayed. He spoke and declared the word. You think because you prayed, you're doing a spiritual thing. That, okay, this is about to back the devil. No, it was the word that backed the devil up. It wasn't your prayer. But because most of us don't know word or the appropriate word to put with the situation that the enemy challenged us with, we figure, well, let me pray. Now, please hear me. I'm not saying prayer is, please pray. Because like I tell my children, when you don't know what to do, you pray. But I'm telling you, your prayers are only as effective, especially if you are not praying the word. So if you don't know word to just spit out your mouth in everyday conversations, we know you don't just know word to spit out your mouth when you're praying. So why should the enemy or why should we think the enemy is just leaving you when you're not fighting him in the correct manner? Notice, you can ask people, hey, you okay? I'm good. I'm blessed. Hot faith. Mm, the Lord is good. We can tell with your religious self, because all your answers are religious. Oh, he's a, he's a wonder down in my soul. <laughs> now, the truth of the matter is, he is a wonder down in your soul, but not every day he's a wonder to you. Every day he's not a wonder to you because some days you're trying to wonder what God is saying. You're trying to wonder why he told you to do this, why he told you to go forgive them when you are the one that's right and they're wrong. So every day he's not a wonder in your soul to you. Right? But notice, some of us were so religious in our response. I'm blessed. I just asked you, how were you? Hey, how you doing? Child, I'm Great and greatly to be. I'm gonna ask you for all that. Why folk think we strange right here? 
this one when you're on the job. Let's act like we got some. When you see, if we work on the same job, let's not be so deep. You can call me by my, hey, Lincoln. You don't have to say, hey, Pastor Lincoln. Man, we at work. You know, I know some of y'all, you be trying to, okay, well, I'm trying to honor you and who you are. No, no, no. I believe you honor me. Just listen. Listen. Let's just be, let's just, let's just, you be you and I'm going to be I with all of these titles. I am Lincoln and you are. You understand? For be looking at us crazy like. Huh? Right, they'll ask you, what is prophets like? Yeah. Uh, I am the mouthpiece of God. <laughs> to be a prophet or prophetess means I am the mouthpiece of God, I mean I speak on behalf of God. God gives me things to speak about Him, about His body, to His body, um, about you if He decides to speak to you about you. But, you know, the average person is not going to understand that you are the mouthpiece of God. They're going to be like, what? Hey, yo, yo, I just asked them how they, they were doing it. I was like, I'm prophetess. What am I going to ask you about that? What is a prophetess? Y'all know my line. Some people are unfamiliar. They're not, they're not familiar with the church lingo. And to be in church, and I'm not just talking about COP, to be in church, church period. Church people have their own language. That's what I'm saying. How you doing? I'm highly favored, blessed, highly favored. The Lord is good. I don't know what you're talking about. Just let us know if you're, hey, I'm good. I'm fine. How are you? You understand? We leaving folk, hugging folk. May the Lord watch between me and D while we at <laughs> Bro, just say bye, man. Uh, we'll get up, bro. Peace out. Deuces. This is, uh, hey, may the Lord keep you and bless you real good as my prayer. I mean, what the world? You understand? I'm some folk. They be like, yo. And they look at us and they think it requires too much to be saved. It did not require all of that for me to say hi to you. Some of us act like, whew. Every other word, you felt the quickening or an unction of the heart. Uh. <laughs> y'all know the I'ma tell you the truth. Y'all know the most times we get as church believers, the most the number one time that we get quickness when we get money. Oh, he he, he heard my oh we'll get a run in our feet and all of that. Y'all ain't gonna tell y'all ain't gonna play no games with me because we all need money and we all we be hey we need money all the time. Any other time, you don't feel him like that. Let someone, hey! Any other time, you ain't got no praise like that, but let somebody put some money in your hand. It ain't even got to be somebody put some money in your hand. Let it be that the people in the fast, in the, in the, in the, in the what you call it, the fast food, uh, uh, whatever restaurant it is, gave you the wrong change back. In other words, they gave you too much. Ooh, Jesus. Ooh, the Lord knew. Burger King, bless me. No, they didn't. That person just miscounted money. And because you are a man or a woman of integrity, I believe you're going to go take that money back. See, I tried that. 
I tried that with Walmart. I said, all these years, I've been spending money at Walmart. And they didn't charge me that money for that big bag of dog food. I said, whoo! Got to the parking lot. I said, I'm in the parking lot. I got it. Mm-mm. I can't walk back in that store, Jesus. I know you want me to have this. Hey, thank you for Walmart blessing me. I speak blessings on Walmart. And got home. <laughs> you better know it. That bag was about $26. I said, mm, he, mm, he knew. Tired about it. <laughs> mm. Trying to lift that bag and put it in the car. Hey, he knew. <laughs> right? And it's when I got home trying to take it out, he started dealing with it. Now, you know. You know I ain't bless you with that. And then you're trying to do what the scriptures say. You're trying to quench the spirit. Mm-mm. I bind you, devil. <laughs> devil, yeah. The devil is a liar. Oh, no. Don't talk me out of this blessing. Right? You know, you know God and the devil don't sound alike. So why does God sound like the devil now? See, some stuff God just said to me, really? Mm. Listen. You know, Walmart answered the phone. Listen, I was just there. <laughs> and you guys did not ring up this bag of dog food. I'm going to bring it tomorrow. I'm not coming back today. I'll bring it tomorrow. Then you think it because you do the right thing. That they'll just go ahead and bless you. And I figure because it was our people who was doing the return process, she was like, you know what? This is how she started off. And I said, listen, man, I called yesterday. I talked about how they didn't ring this up. She said, you know what? Not too many people do this. So I'm thinking, okay, this is about to be good. God will, you know, all in my head, I'm just having this conversation. God will reward you for your good. Oh, you can't outbeat God. You can't, you can't, you can't outdo God. I just knew she was going to say, you go ahead and keep. She said, that'll be 26. My whole countenance dropped. I said, mm. <laughs> I stung a little bit. But I'm going to pay this money, God, because I want to be right. Because I was at a point in my life where I kept saying, God, I want to be right. Really? What, do you want to be right when nobody knows when you just did wrong? See, the temptation came. The temptation was I wanted to keep that dog food, that free dog food. I wanted to lie to myself and say, God, bless me. He touched the people in Walmart to bless me, knowing it was a lie. But when the temptation comes, when nobody knows what you know, uh, how will you respond? I don't know. My wife didn't know it. All she knew was I, I, I went to the store. She knew I ain't about to steal it. Who knew other than me and God? I just want to see what you're going to do when the opportunity presents itself. Because you say you want to be right. When you have an opportunity, see, don't be right. Because see, this is the thing. We struggle. The struggle comes with being right when it's just you and God. See, when somebody else knows, you don't have a problem. You know, hey, I messed up. It's when nobody else knows. When I don't have to be accountable to anybody else. Whether temptation comes, whether or not I'm going to say something. Because it becomes too easy to say, God, I repent. God, forgive me for doing da-da-da-da. No. Why even waste your repentance on that when all you got to do is just be right? When the tempter comes, 
Notice what we said. Some of you, your response is to pray. And you wonder why he keeps coming as often as he comes. Because you have not properly dismissed him. I'll give you this word, devil. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Hence the title of the text, soul fool. Understand, you must feed your soul the word of God. Most of us are weakest as we are because there is no word. We have not fed ourselves any word. We're malnutritious in the spirit. We're malnutritious down in our soul because we have not fed ourselves the word of God. He said, you're only going to live not just by this natural bread, but by the spiritual bread. Nobody got to ask you to feed yourself in the natural. To the point that when you hunger, hey, what y'all got to eat in here? You're walking folk high. What y'all got to eat in here? You don't even know me like that. No, but we figured we're that comfortable with people. Hey, what y'all got to eat in here? But it goes to show you what your mind is on. And if you're that willing to ask somebody what they got to eat in the house, whether how comfortable you are with them or not, why are you not asking God, God, what do you have for me to eat today? Because then there were some of us, you figure because you opened your word, well, I got in my word, I read a scripture. Is it what he wanted to feed you today? There are various things that we have in our cabinets, pantries, freezers, and refrigerators. But notice there are select meals that we decide to feed on certain days. Whether it's because the man of the house wanted this or this because this is just what the woman was. I just, I just had a taste for this. Or it was just the easiest. You understand? Because some of y'all cook by that way. It's the easiest, fastest thing to cook, so this is what I cook. <laughs> you ain't put no kind of love in there. You just, ah, here. What? I'm like, we be looking at like, uh, does anybody want pizza? <laughs> we can tell you just, in. What makes, think about it, when we talk about soul food, what makes soul food, soul food is not just because of what they cook, but any soul food cooker will tell you, I cook that with love. That's why it tastes the way it tastes, because baby, I labored over there. I put love into that. I took my time and made sure it was done right. And you got to understand, when God gives you what he gives you, he's going to give it to you in love. And see, we don't want that word right there. But God said, he, he checked us about, okay, okay, no, you did it with lust of the eyes today. No, he gave that to you with love. I love you enough to tell you that your eyes are out of control. I love you enough to tell you that your flesh is out of control. Or you struggling with some pride. I gave that word, that food to you in love. Eat that. Eat that. That's like the real soul food cooker who cooks their food with love. They hate to see people waste over their food. Oh, you be like, you, you better eat that. Your grandma, done, I know my grandma, she would come walking in there. Hand on her hip. like, <laughs> Yeah, hand on her hip, sliding them bedroom shoes. I know you going to eat that. And they'll tell you how long. I stood up at that stove four hours to cook. You going to eat that. But stop playing with me. You look like, what the? I like to eat my fish last. <laughs> oh, what you thinking? I like to eat. I, now, I know you're going to eat that. And 
drink all that Kool-Aid. Every last bit of that. See, <laughs> my grandmother, they were like that, just crazy about food. But I didn't understand until I had to start cooking for myself and cooking for children. And now I understand. Especially when it was something that I wanted to eat. And I figured because I wanted to eat, the whole family's going to want to eat this. No, I labored over there. Oh, I've been telling them, if you don't eat that food. Uh, I sound like my grandma and them. I just don't have my hand on me here. I have my flip-flops on, but I just don't have my hand on me here. Uh, uh, you going to eat all that? Stop playing with me. And see, now my line is, we ain't got no food to throw away. People in Africa hungry. Sure. And Haiti. And America, too. You better thank God. God done bless you. Look at My kids would be looking at me crazy. I ain't have food. That's... She be in mid. <laughs> like, should I put it in my mouth or not? I don't know what to do. Daddy's so crazy. Like, eat it. Sure. What's wrong with you? You don't stop eating because I'm talking to you. Eat it. The whole point I'm talking to you because you want to eat, eat the food. Dog it. Just not just turn the whole session into something crazy. Them kids looking like. <laughs> just looking crazy. But they know, they know you mean it. Because I'm going uh-uh. to let you know. I, that's me. I stood at that stove. Oh no, I tell them like my grandma. I stood up to this stove and cooked this by myself. Not your mama. That's me. Oh, you're going to eat that. I don't care what you don't like. Put some sugar on it. <laughs> oh, yeah. But what you're not about to do, you ain't about to throw my food in no trash can. It's hard as we work around here to put food in this house. You put some sugar on it. I don't care what you got to put jelly on it, peanut butter, but you're going to eat it. Who I'll be serious about that thing. You're a lie. And I'm saying, as, as, much as, as much as we struggled as children and didn't have food to eat, like, I have to remind you don't understand how blessed you are. Out of the five days a week, you know what? We ate the same dish five days out of seven days out of the week. We didn't have no variety to choose from. And then some days we were trying to figure out who was not going to eat. Baby, you better eat that food. So then I have to go and stand right next to him and let him know how serious I be. You gonna eat that? I'm so close they can't even look up at my face. They gotta look right at my stomach. Yeah, you gonna eat that? <laughs> they be thinking something wrong with me, man. Something kind of is. Y'all got, <laughs> y'all got to pray for me, man. Something is kind of wrong with me a little, just a little bit. Yeah, you know I'm a little. I still got a little, little, little bit of stuff I'm working out. I'm trying to work out. I try to work out some stuff with me. You know. Hey, I'm saying when you was as hard as, hard headed as I was, and you got hit across the head a little bit, Tom. Uh, <laughs> you work through some stuff, man. And you, and you, y'all heard me say my daddy was Jamaican too, so eh, eh, working through some stuff, man. <laughs> when your daddy, when your daddy will call your names, <laughs> he's ask me, he be like, boy, okay, what's the maga, boy? At first, I didn't know what that meant. Like, what, what is what does maga mean? 
know. I don't know what MAGA is. So you know they get mad real quick. They got the long sucking of the teeth. They suck their teeth for about 15 seconds. After he finally sucking his teeth. Me a skinny boy. Yes, a skinny. Why is a skinny boy? I don't know. You know I eat. He's so mad, he don't know what to say. It's just, it's, it's just sounds. Come on, my face, boy. So you call me to just make noises? What the world? You want to ask me why I'm so skinny? It, I this is how God made me. No. He tell me, no, liar tell. No, not make it this way. No, I'm not making it up. No, not so. Pun like pun again. That's why not like. No. What? I'm trying to understand what he's saying. Why am I my long God for it? <laughs> but I understand. Y'all, you know, I got to make y'all laugh a little bit. I'm just saying. In order for your soul to be fair. <laughs> You gotta, <laughs> you gotta have your natural food and your spiritual food, man. Give me my last verse. Go to, take me to Psalms, man. Get out of here, man. Because the Bible says, "Oh, taste to see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in Him." And because Christ was the theanthropos, meaning He was the God Man, He still had to trust God that what God said about His life would be so. I'm going to prove to the tempted that I am the Messiah. That even when He comes with the temptation, the very thing that I want. The food. I'm endured. And it's when I endured the temptation. I understand that I endured the temptation because of the strength of God. This discipline that has now been created in my life by fasting 40 days and 40 nights, where it brought me closer to God and made me become more sensitive to God. I'm loving on God more, and God is loving on me more. Now I can say, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste in the Hebrew is talking about literal tasting with the mouth, but it's also talking about I can perceive my perception of God is right. My perception of God is clear. Because guess what? You know, without you actually tasting stuff with your physical mouth, there are some things that you can actually look at and you know what it tastes like. So I'm saying you can taste with your eyes. You can hear with your eyes and things of that nature right there. Perception denotes, or, or we're saying taste also denotes perception, perceiving denotes your ability to see things correctly. You said, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I, I, I now understand, I can see clearly now that God is, he's good. Even when I'm being tempted by the tempter, might have been led by the spirit, because God understands I must prove something to the tempter. I still can see and I still can believe that God is good. Because not every place God is leading you though. Some places you just chose to go on your own. Let's go ahead and say that. Some places you made the decision to lead yourself there. God never led you to that man bed. He didn't lead you to call that man. 
He didn't lead you to go try to see that man. He didn't lead you to go see that woman. That was you. That was a decision that you made all on your own. Hi, Amanda Bear. How are you? You know, you know what I'm saying? That was all you by yourself. But you all by yourself. You know? But you know how we have this disability to where we feel like well everything is lining up with what I want so maybe this is God that ability that I'm talking about is your false perception your ability to perceive things incorrectly that makes you believe this is God speaking to you this is God it, it feels right well, God is not going to speak to you by way of your emotions and feelings or your heart because he understands the Bible tells us that your heart is deceitful, desperately wicked. So we don't know God is not about to speak to you by way of your emotions because your emotions can have you on an emotional roller coaster. You're up, you're down, you're up, you're down, you're up, you're down. I mean, your emotions are not disciplined. Some things you chose merely because it's what you wanted. When the tempter brought you the temptation, it's what you wanted. Some things you chose because there was not a healthy no or there was not a healthy yes in your spirit. You didn't know how to say no. Or you didn't know how to say yes to some things. So when we talk about a healthy yes and a healthy no, we're talking about saying no and yes to the appropriate things. Some of you, you all you have is a yes. 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 I'll go. I will. I'll do when you should be developing a healthy no. Right? And then there were some of you, all you know how to do was say no. Can I borrow five dollars? No. Can I come? No. You want to hang? No. You want to go to church? No. Right. All some people got is a no. They don't know how to say they don't, there, there is not a balance. He said a false balance. If all you know how to do is say no or all you know how to do is say yeah, there was a false balance in your life, which he says is an abomination to him. So what he lets you know is your, your responses are an abomination to him. As it relates to your yes and no, it's an abomination to me. You don't have a healthy balance there. So understand. He wants you to be able to taste and see that he's good. He wants your perception of him to be right. That God is good. Whether life is good, whether life is treating you kindly or fair or good, one thing that we cannot change is that God is good when life is not good. He said, taste and see this. And none of us have had an experience like Job's experience. But do you understand? We can look at the story of Job when his wife was telling him, just curse God and die. It's easy to look at that word from an English sense, curse. But if you ever look into the Hebrew word curse means, she said, just bless God, just praise God and go ahead and die. See, y'all never looked at it like that. It makes you begin to look at stuff in a different manner. Just, it, it might not get any better, Joe, but just go ahead. And, if the last thing that you're going to say is, let it be a praise then if you're going to die. Walk out of this thing with giving God praise. Walk out of this thing with blessing God. Walk out of here with exalting him. Walk out of here with letting him know he's good, even though life is a good. I lost everything, but I still got you, God. I can bless you because I still got you. Even when life or the enemy took everything away, the enemy could not take you away from me. 
which goes back to my point the the theme of of Matthew was really about worship because even as you move down into the scripture Satan takes him to these different points top of the pinnacle top of the mountain and he talks to him and he shows him all the kingdom of the world if you would just bow down bowing the notes of posture of worship if you would just bow down to me I'll give you all these kingdoms Christ never debated with Satan whether or not they were his he understood this belongs to you right now you are the prince of this world oh but when I come to do what I'm supposed to do as a messiah I'm going to take back what belongs the kingdom of God is suffering violent but the violent take it by force I'm about to forcefully take back what belongs to God so that's why he said don't tempt the Lord your God remember what he told Satan do not tempt the Lord your God you're supposed to serve him worship him on my worship is not unto anyone but the father my obedience not to anyone but the father because obedience is the highest form or it was really about worship because remember we said could it be that maybe christ fed his soul through his obedience which is the highest form of worship could it be while he was in the wilderness his prayer got wow his praise got wow his worship got wow his obedience his submission got wow what am I saying to you? This thing really is about your worship. Denoting your obedience. When the tempter come, who will you obey? When the tempter come, who will you obey? Would you obey your own inward desire? Your own inward lust? Because the Bible lets us know that we're driven away by our own inward lust. Will you obey your own lust? Or will you obey the voice of God? obey the word of God because one thing that we cannot be confused about the tempter is coming but when he comes how will you answer him will you answer him with the word and will your answer of the word be a demonstration of your obedience unto God because that's what it's about at the end of the day Christ was proven to him no I'm loyal to God I'm committed to God. I'm dedicated to God. I am obedient only to God and Him only. Who will you prove your loyalty to? Because that's what's in question, your loyalty. Some days you're loyal, you're loyal to God on Sundays and Wednesdays. And halfway then, He want to know in the moments that it's just you and Him, or if it's just you and you wrestling with the voice of the tempter, who will you be loyal to? after you prayed and you seem like your, and it seems like your prayer didn't work for you who would you be loyal to because you have those days when you pray and it seems like your prayer didn't work who would you be loyal to taste and see that he's good why he said because blessed is that man the proof that you bless is the proof that you can show that you trust him see nothing days can you trust him days you can't trace or track God can you trust him or better yet will you trust him when the instruction doesn't make sense when you don't understand what God is telling you to do don't like it don't agree with it will you still trust him because he knows what's best when it's difficult when it's challenging when it's uncomfortable when it's hard will you trust him this is what makes you blessed 
And blessed doesn't mean you got so much money in the bank. Blessed doesn't mean you got a new house, new car. Blessed means that the Father is speaking to you. Blessed means that the Father is declaring his words not just to you but over you. He has an inheritance. His words are an inheritance for you. Because whatever you need, all God has to do is speak it. Amen? So, what will you feed your soul? Because your soul definitely needs food. What will you feed it? Come on, put your hands together for the word in Jesus' name. Amen.